and you know it's often a process when you're in an abusive relationship to continually like chip away you know at the reality that this other person has constructed like it's a loss of reality and i think that's something that may be hard for people who haven't been in that situation understand radio mano papachango Chris, this is Hans. And this is Ridge. And we met through the, your subreddit, Tangentially Speaking. And um, I'm in New York for the first time, and Hans showed me around via the stand-up comic uh, circuit. Yeah. Grassroots. Ridge is a very interesting guy. He's a geophysicist in Montreal right now. And Hans is a very interesting guy. He's a hard-working comic. He's got a great act. And I can see how hard it is for great acts to be seen in this town because there's so many of them. But uh, it's amazing, amazing world. Yeah, I showed him around the stand-up comedy world. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Awesome show. We love it. Hey, Chris. This is Christian from Argentina, but I'm right now in Europe. I did the South American thing of doing like 12 countries in 40 days, which is too much but I still loved it. I'm right now in Amsterdam. I'm coming out of a park and it was a hard decision for me, but I decided to take magic mushrooms in a park. It was hard for me because it was my first experience and I'm alone, but I'm so happy I did it. Um, I'm right now in the afterglow, loving everything. What I saw was amazing and I wanted to really thank you so much for being part of this trip uh, giving me a lot of previous information that I needed to actually do it and uh, I feel so grateful so thank you for everything you do I'm sorry that I'm a little bit driven to tears but I'm just so happy peaceful and full of joy. So thank you for all the work you do. Bye. Hi, everybody. I just uh, put the podcast on pause to finally say hello. And thank you to Chris for just making me spit my peanut butter cookie out all over my dashboard. Uh, when you said the name Diddlebush sounds like masturbating. I am calling from rural Michigan, where I'm growing weed to pay for a master's in mental health counseling. Um, I'm surrounded by a pretty bigoted mentality, family members included, and the podcast keeps me in touch with the kind of mindset that I really do think could save the world if only there were a few more of us. So preach on. Peace and love to y'all. Thank you for those beautiful introductions, one and all. And um, if you want to send an introduction, just record it on your phone. Uh, throw it to me as an MP3. You can send it to intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com or, uh, I don't know, through through my webpage, I guess. But I, that's the best way to do it, intro at 
tendentiallyspeaking.com. Uh, this episode is with Astrid Daly, a uh, young woman I met in Seattle at our get-together there. So I guess this is officially the first episode from the road trip recorded on the road. Uh, what can I tell you about her in way of introduction? She, We got to chatting in the get-together, but there were a lot of people there, so we didn't really have time to go deep. But within the first few minutes, I gathered that she had a business selling erotic comic books and had been in an abusive relationship. Uh, with a man for quite a while and sort of escaped that and was going through a metamorphosis and her life just sounded so adventurous and interesting and she was so smart and articulate and I thought man if she'd be willing to share just what she's been going through it's it would be both of course fascinating but also potentially um, helpful because she's very insightful about her own experiences. And as difficult as some of them have been, I don't think they're really all that unusual. I think a lot of people are going through a lot of difficult times, especially in their 20s, dealing with relationships, trying to get that stuff sorted out, trying to figure out not only who they are you are i was um but also who is this person that i'm trying to relate to and trying to work those two things out simultaneously is like that story of the guy who's trying to fix his plane while he's flying it it's you it can lead to a lot of crash landings i guess is what i'm getting at uh this episode we have a new sponsor sunbasket is um a service that sends you food and it's actually the reason that i was interested in doing this is that um my buddy uh tyler who was on this podcast i don't remember what episode it was but he's the guy who um walked the length of japan to uh impress his japanese girlfriend's father uh an amazing guy anyway he i guess he's one of the original investors or he's a partner in the company or something and so i sort of saw that he was working on it last time i visited him in san francisco and now it's up and running and it's doing really well and they have very generously offered a half off to tangentially listener tangentially speaking listeners um on the first two orders so uh $30 off uh, the first two deliveries, 30 bucks off each, and I guess they cost about 60 bucks, so that's roughly half off. Um, essentially, let me just read, you know, it's basically, it's one of these companies that delivers a box of stuff to your door. I had, we're on the road, I'm on the road, so I couldn't really do it for myself, but I had one delivered to friends, and they loved it. They said it was fantastic. The dish um, that was for two people, they said easily fed the four of them. It was mom, dad, and two kids. So they're generous portions. Everything's packed in recyclable plastic, nothing single use or throwaway. Um, so if you have recycling in your area, uh, everything can be recycled. So it's very sort of ecologically conscious. Um, 
and it's uh, they've got different plans like a paleo, carb conscious, gluten free, Mediterranean, diabetes friendly, and vegan. Uh, very quick and easy. Everything's chopped up into the correct proportions and uh, clear instructions. And 15 or 20 minutes, you've got an exotic, delicious meal on the table. And when you break down the price, especially with this discount, it's, you know, very cheap, relatively cheap, certainly cheaper than going out to a restaurant. And, um, you know, think about all the sort of exotic spices and things. You'd have to go buy a whole bottle of each one. Instead, you just get the right amount in each one. There are 18 different recipes every week to choose from. They've got salad mixes. They've got all sorts of stuff. Anyway, uh, now here's what you have to do. Go to sunbasket.com slash TS. That's tangentially speaking to get your discount. Sunbasket.com slash TS to check out this limited time $60 off special deal just for you. All right. I'm sitting in a park in Kalispell, Montana, headed over to visit a dude and his family who are living off-grid in Idaho uh, near Sandpoint, and then uh, headed down toward Yellowstone from there, down to Bozeman and Livingston, and then into Yellowstone. Somebody sent me a message. I don't remember what platform, if it was email or a DM on Instagram or what it was. Somebody working at Yellowstone, like at the lodge maybe, offering to take me to some of their favorite backcountry hikes. If that was you, please get back in touch because I am headed to Yellowstone and I would love... I've driven through Yellowstone three or four times, but honestly, I've never gone hiking. I've never really been anywhere other than the typical tourist bullshit spots. So if uh, if that was you or if it wasn't you, but you have information or access or whatever tips about Yellowstone, I'd love to hear from you. Well, I'm shamelessly calling out for assistance from the tangentially speaking community I might as well say if anybody out there has a body shop or knows somebody who does body work Scarlett Johansson has got a couple of rust spots starting to leak through the ceiling and uh, I could uh, I could use some professional help with that so happy to pay not asking for a freebie I'd just rather give the money to somebody who's part of this community so if you know somebody uh, or if you are somebody with a body shop somewhere between Bozeman Montana and Denver Colorado drop me a line and maybe we'll stop in and you can patch up old Scarlet Thank you. Um, I'm not going to talk anymore because there's traffic going by. It's kind of noisy here. It's not the ideal place for me and might be annoying for you. I don't want to annoy you. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Astrid daily. I certainly did. And I hope that um, everything's going great for you out there and that you will accept my gratitude for whatever you do to support this podcast, whether it's financially through Patreon through my Amazon affiliate link at chrisryanphd.com or thatchrisryan.com or tangentiallyspeaking.com. It's all the same place. All roads lead to the same mountaintop in this case. 
uh, about 5% of whatever you spend on Amazon goes to support me and my endeavors, which I am very grateful for. And, of course, Patreon support, PayPal donations, whatever you do to help the podcast, including just feeling good about it. Thank you, everybody. I hope everything's great. And uh, I'm going to record aroma in the next few days from a riverside somewhere that'll be much more relaxing to listen to i've been getting some interesting emails recently asking um asking questions uh that deserve some thought and some time to respond not just a quick text or whatever so i'm gonna put some time into that so you'll be hearing from me again from a riverside maybe a crackling fire fireside chat for you in the next few days thanks for listening take care This lone wolf stops to howl at the moon Let's get that slow motion entrance That capture the room Cause we're the center stage You're chilling and back with my goons This is for the rainy days And the change that's happening soon The things I say make these rappers Fast track to their tomb Or they underdeveloped And have to call back in their womb I breathe hazardous fumes The home it ever concerned Trying to act like they are part of this chatter that's turned Though it's smarter to save I think it's better to burn Like trying to get them 24th And that Chevy to turn I got that good stuff, that Southern Cali hookup Out of town, I send my workout, let my products do the push-ups the good stuff, and I can't stop Leaning in a rental car, speeding down the 101 You got the good stuff, and I can't stop Leaning in a rental car, speeding down the 101 Cause you got, you got, you got, you got You got the good stuff Cause you got, you got, you got, you got You got that good stuff Got that pot of gold, take it to the Bellagio. A legend in the game, I got more hits than Joe DiMaggio. Rocking shows from Montana to Monaco. The planet understand us, the resurrection of rock and roll. Be blessed, they riding for us. Give them that Tyrannosaurus. Damn, it's been a minute since someone spitted this kind of flow. We rising charts, give weak guard. It's a bleak season. How they got us competing with cats who never rhyme before. Let you work on yourself. You need some time alone. I take your girl around the globe. She fly up for a private show i got a deal to make foreign models and real estate shorty riding with me she's so high i can't feel her face Right.
running out, yep, it's time to re-up On that fire, got you high and now you know that we up So go and go to pilot, we wildin', just turn that beat up We be flying to the islands if she wanna meet up We be off the coast of Mexico, my schedule freed up And yep, I got that hit on deck, cause now you know that we up While we watching the sun setting and twisting weed up We be headed to the clouds so high, no, you can't see us Yo, where airport you flying into? Oh, uh, LAX, but hiding a layover over at the International House of Pink Check my Mary and Mary songs. All right, goddamn it, dude. I'll see you at the airport. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sitting in a um, in an apartment building in Seattle where it's raining. It's a drizzly, overcast, typically Seattle day. And I'm with Astrid Daly, who I met, uh, what, two nights ago at our little get-together here in Seattle. It was fun. Uh, it was interesting. There were probably, I don't know, 50 people there or something? Something like that, yeah. yeah. It was great. Really cool crowd. And as often happens at these things, I meet people and I just, I just want to like have an evening with each of them because everybody's so interesting you know and you and i started talking and we ended up in a booth and Mm -hmm. there were all these people standing around and i (laughs) i felt like i had to go say hello to them but i just wanted to hear more and more about your story so luckily you agreed to get together and we could do it all again and have an audience for this yeah because your story is Great. It's. I mean, it's so interesting. As I said the other night, it's like a very compelling story, very personal, very, it's unique, of course, but there are emblematic themes in it that I think a lot of people will relate to. So thank yeah. you for doing this. Oh, totally. I'm really happy for the opportunity to do it. It's yeah. so great to meet you. And like, like you said, there were so many cool people out and so many interesting things to say. It was a really awesome evening. It was great. Yeah. yeah. I had yeah. a great time. I never meet anyone at those things who I don't, who's presence i don't enjoy it's fantastic it's so nice yeah. the only problem is just overwhelming you know mm-hmm. i imagine yeah like your yeah. energy is like being pulled in a lot of different directions yeah yeah but i mean it's cool because even that people are very chill there was a couple there the other night who just said goodbye i never saw them the whole night and they were like yeah we've been here but we don't want to bother you and <laughs> so just want to say goodbye like yeah. all right cool that's cool that yeah. they got to come out and they probably hopefully met some people and that's what i'm hoping yeah, yeah nothing yeah. else just enjoyed being there and that's the whole point yeah. yeah for people to meet each other cool. anyway your apartment is very funky you've got art on the walls you've got this amazing uh mural behind me with the beautiful woman dreaming and colorful snakes all over her very freudian oh yes oh yes but it seems it seems that she has a good relationship with the snakes it's not a phobic kind of thing so yeah that uh according to what i know freud suggests a healthy sexuality yeah you know so that's good um well, let's start. Let's start at the beginning. You are from a tiny little town in Minnesota where there are lots of mosquitoes. Oh, yes. It's basically like, yeah, all there are is like mosquitoes in the summer and then road construction and then winter for like a good nine months out of the year. Like, right. It's really. And I'm, you grew up there <laughs> full, full high through high school. Yeah. From like basically like three to 18. I lived in this tiny town of 370 people. 370 people. Yeah. An hour from Canada, like on the Minnesota, North Dakota border. Right. Yeah. Just 
Why were you there? You know, my parents are just like two really small town people and they were lived in North Dakota in like other small towns. And then they met at like a wedding dance out there, you know, back in like they got got married in like 1975. Mm. So, yeah, they just ended up my dad got it was a custodian at like the local elementary school. So he ended up getting a job in this 370 people town as a custodian there. And so we Mm. moved there and that's where I spent my childhood in this mm. just like really tiny little place. And your mom, house housewife, or what'd she do? You know, she did odd jobs off and on here and there, but she was like a grocery store clerk a lot of my a lot of my life. At so. the one grocery store in town. Yeah, and then there's also like a, a, a the big town like that was nearby that was like fifty five thousand people, and eventually she was a grocery store clerk at the uh, big town. Moving so. on up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. It's, it's wow. funny. I you know I hear people say that they're from a small town, and then I'm out here in <laughs> Seattle. I kind of have to laugh. They're like, I'm from Tacoma, and I'm like, Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I graduated high school in uh, a town called Casanova. I'll bet uh, maybe there were 5,000 people there or something. Oh, wow. That is definitely on the small side for sure. Yeah. 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 And I moved from a big, so it's mostly the school is how it affected me. I moved from, I went two years high school with the school. I think it had 2,500 kids or something. Yeah. And then I'm in the school that had... I don't know, 200 kids, all four grades, you know, it was, yeah. uh, it was like really intense. So how many kids were in your high school? Well, at some point, um, this 370 people town couldn't maintain a high school anymore and then eventually couldn't maintain an elementary school. Right. So we consolidated with the bigger town nearby that was like uh, 1,200 okay. people and then with another town that was like 300 people. So by the time I graduated from high school, it was like 55 kids in my high school graduating class, which right. was huge. Massive. Uh, yeah, compared to like the 16 kids that I grew up with in elementary school, you know. And what were you like? What was your, who were you in high school? I was just like. Were you a cheerleader? I mean, you're very beautiful, so you were one of the pretty girls, I'm sure. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, I was like really, no? really dorky when I was, well. Oh, you were dorky. I mean, it's all relative, right? I mean, looking back, I mean, I can have a lot more like like tenderness toward my younger self. But mm. at the time, you know, I felt like an, like an outcast and a dork. And I was a little bit on the chubby side. Mm. And. I ended up getting um, bullied a bit when I was in my uh, elementary school years, and I kind of felt like exiled from the group. And I sort mm. of, de- in, a, in a way, I it built a lot of character. I sort of developed an outsider's perspective from it. And you know, by high school, mm. I was like, one minute I was a hippie, the next minute I was a goth. Like I was a punk Searching. rocker. I was a beatnik. Yeah. Like <laughs> I was basically just everything that nobody else was. I'm like, I'm different than you. I'm gonna, you know, right. try on these all these hats and try to find my people, I guess. I think it must be especially difficult to feel um, isolated when you're in such a small community. You know, there's oh, nowhere yeah. to hide. There no, there's no shadow where you can just be mysterious. Exactly. Everyone yeah. knows you one way or another. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and in that world, I mean, to each their own. But if you're, if you're not super into like high school sports and like mm. some of the things that those small communities like really, you know, get excited about, then you know, you feel, nothing. yeah i felt really alienated and like yeah. yeah so but you i mean you're young enough that you grew up with the internet so you had that kind of connection to the world well no actually i'm 35 and we were in a place that was kind of behind in the times when it came to a lot of things like that uh. so by the time we i was like 16 we did have dial-up internet but you know it was on the dial-up modem you like load a picture it takes like you know five minutes i think you know i was trying to explore spirituality a bit when i was 16 and i i've been joking with my friend that i couldn't get too deeply into it because it would take like 30 minutes to load a page about the buddha's 
you know, noble truths or whatever. <laughs> like, good luck, like, you learning. can't be in a hurry with Buddhism, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's a good point. <laughs> patient, be right. patient. That's the lesson I missed, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're, uh, were you raised as a Christian? Were you, like, small church going, you know, all that stuff? You know, my Prairie, pa- little house on the prairie? <laughs> my parents are, like, just really good-hearted Midwesterners who sort mm. of were raised, my dad was raised Catholic and my mom was raised Lutheran and when they got together, my mom, uh, her Lutheranism, my dad kind of adopted that. And mm. I mean, my parents are definitely, I mean, they, I think they believe in a higher power to some degree, uh, but they, church for them, I felt like was more of just community right. and, and they never like shoved anything down my throat, like in a very oh, like well, rigid, cool. like they're pretty like, parents are pretty open and yeah. Really, that's great. Like, really good hearted people. So. Well, good for them. I, yeah. I, I imagine that's hard to do in a small town. There's a yeah. lot of pressure to conform and, yeah. you know, that group identity thing. Do you have siblings? I actually have a brother um, who's four years older than I am. So, mm. and what's, what's his path through life like? Um, he actually uh, lives here in West Seattle, too. Oh. Yep. And uh, yeah, he um, he went to film school, and he ended, but he ended up coming out to Seattle. And the way things ended up, he ended up um, uh, working for Starbucks. And it, interestingly, he's been able to actually incorporate some of his like film background into his work there. And he seems to really be happy with it. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, it's, Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> what? You know, it's funny, I was getting back to the, segueing to the, tang, tang, I guess, tangenting uh, to the religion question again. Um, I did have a, a phase where I was a, a fundamentalist Christian by choice for about three years. That was like a form of rebellion? Well, I think it was like a, a quest for belonging more than anything at that mm, point. Yeah. And there were some pretty, like, fundamentalist Christians, you know, in my pretty serious evangelicals in my, like, peer group. Mm. And so I had this period from about 12 to 15 um, where I was, like, really judgmental. <laughs> I would watch a movie with, Aren't like, all? yeah, <laughs> no doubt. I'd watch a movie with, like, boobs in it and be like, oh, my God, this is terrible. But I think I secretly was, like, kind of titillated by the fact that I was watching something. Titillated by boobs, were yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm little, sure I was a little bit. Little, yeah. I think that's where the word titillated comes from, actually. From, t- from tits. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Boobilated. Boobilated. Yeah. And now here we are, with, like, there are uh, naked depictions of naked women all over the place there's a big mushroom lamp in front of us yeah you've gone total like hippie stevie nicks vibe yeah that's definitely (laughs) part of it for sure yeah it's like i i feel like i kind of like coming out here i kind of started like surrounding myself with like images of like really strong women just kind of owning who they are okay and And we'll get to that yeah 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 so Okay, so we also, by the way, I see you have some really good books around. You you have good taste in, in reading. I saw Tropic of Cancer the minute I sat down. Oh, yeah. I think I read that when I was, it was like 16 or so. Oh, that would break you out of your yeah. fundamentalist Christian <laughs> phase pretty yeah, fast. for sure, yeah. I'm looking forward to rereading that. I don't know if you've heard me talk about this. I want to do a new podcast in addition to this one, um, maybe a monthly thing where I just, it's called What Makes This Book Great. Oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah, I and like I'll that. go back and, and reread some of the, the books that I really love and short stories and, and mm-hmm. poetry and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but Tropic of Cancer is definitely one that I want to go back and reread and, and think about it and talk yeah. about it because it's, it's so, you know, revolutionary. It literally, you know, that went to the Supreme Court. It was banned. They couldn't right, bring right. it into the U.S. There was all this stuff because of the sex and the mm-hmm. sort of... Um, you know the depiction of sexuality and uh, and and just that sort of bohemian life that he was living in Paris. Yeah, I remember the scene where he's. 
I forget who, if some friend's wife or something, and they end up fucking on the stairs in the apartment building where he is and like a coin rolls out of her pocket while he's fucking her and he like grabs the coin because <laughs> he's so desperate for money. Oh my God. He's like, oh, there's a quarter. Got it. <laughs> oh, nice. Wow. I don't remember that, but that's pretty funny. Yeah. Maybe it was Tropic of Capricorn. I don't know. I went yeah. on a Henry Miller like stint after I, I read yeah. that. Yeah. I guess it's been about 20 years since I would have read it. So it's me. Yeah. yeah. Probably 30 for me. Yeah. Your memories but, might be a little bit better though. Like yeah, I don't remember just that. that scene. Just, just that scene. Just in that particular, particular that, like you bookmarked sex, that one <laughs> you know rarely are you going to see like sex and picking up coins from the street in the same right. moment yeah those two things don't generally go together <laughs> not too often no so um all right so let's let's talk about what really perked up my ears the other night you, you were talking about you had this business as a teenager right the the books the yeah vintage porn stuff yeah i had a little side hustle like as a 16 year old so what ended up happening is i got i was getting into the beat generation and i bought this old box set from like rhino records with like readings of like kerouac and various other folks right and there was this booklet in there and it had pictures of all these like beat beat exploitation novels with like crazy covers of like women you know in pulp fiction kind of poses with like bongo drums and like it was all very over the top and funny and like kind of right you know playing up on that whole um whole thing or whatever and i i kind of fell in love with just these over the top kind of ridiculous covers i thought they had such interesting typography and funny blurbs and and so i ended up uh getting into those those books and um from from the beats i sort of like was i got introduced to like you know gangster books gun malls you know kind of the more standard kind of pulp fiction that you'd think of maybe a person might think of like the stuff you see on like magnets you know and postcards and that sort of thing so some people might not I know about the beats who were the beats yeah they were a group of um writers who are just i mean very much in similar way of henry miller just outsiders you know um living different lives to their time like yeah mm. like you know nomadic travelers right. like exploring some drugs, drugs and some henry, sex and, um uh, who was uh, william burroughs was one of the sort of principals oh right yeah, yeah. Totally. And, and a lot of gay sex you know yeah sort of unconventional sex yeah definitely yeah. unconventional lives and, yeah yeah and i think you know being from that small place and you know having like that sort of outsider uh perspective i sort of gravitated toward people like them because i was like oh they, they're living differently and they don't seem to fit in either hmm. and so that was a part of it and so from getting into that and like seeing those books and kind of falling in love with them on, on both the, the actual beat literature and then also just the books exploiting it and kind of like playing it up and like. So you got into the literature itself, not just the genre, the, the sort of lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah, right. I definitely. I, and when I was like 16, I went to Kerouac's grave. Uh, oh, yeah. In, Where is that? In Lowell, Massachusetts. Oh, OK. Yep. And I was most into him, I feel like. Really? Yeah. So you read On the Road? Yep, On the Road and like Desolation Angels. Right. Yeah. Definitely some Dharma bums. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I never got into Kerouac. I spent a lot of time on the road and a lot of, that was a Bible for a lot of the people I was hanging out with. But um, it never, you know, whenever I tried to read some Kerouac, it never quite spoke to me. Same way with The Grateful Dead. I kind of have this weird relationship with the grateful mm-hmm. dead where a lot of my friends were really into them and they were sort of emblematic of a world yeah. that i was associated with but i could never quite get down with them i have yeah. trouble being part of a group 
Yeah, I do too. Do you? <laughs> yes. What's well, that outsider thing, right? Yeah, totally. So you find a group of outsiders, and then there's the conundrum of like, wait, am I still an outsider yeah, if yeah. I'm in a group of outsiders? I always feel like an outsider among the outsiders. Like, yeah. Yeah, I have that, I have that same tendency to feel that way. It's weird for me to be back in America now mm-hmm. um, because I'm not a foreigner. My yeah. whole life I've been a foreigner and to not be a foreigner. Like, oh, that's got to be like a weird perspective shift, I imagine. It is. Yeah. 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 I mean, luckily, my night, my life is unusual enough that they're still like, oh, that's that guy who wrote the book or has the podcast mm-hmm. or whatever. But um, for a long time, it was just, oh, that's the American guy. Yeah. He's traveled around a lot. You know, like that was my thing. I yeah. was the guy who didn't, who wasn't from there, wherever there imagine was. Imagine that becomes a big part of your identity then. It yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. And you get away with a lot. Oh, oh, you do? Like, oh. tell me what that what that's about a little bit. Well, I mean, I lived in Spain for, I was based in Spain for 20 some years. And so you're sort of exempt from a lot of the local expectations. Ah. Like, you don't need to do the holidays. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, um, relationships, you know, I, I, I was, one of the things I loved about it was Spanish women who, there, there was like a subset of Spanish women who wanted to hook up with foreign guys because oh. they didn't, they weren't expecting you to do their laundry, you know, and like mm. be their mommy. And like, there's a whole Spanish relationship model and women who saw themselves as outsiders, but couldn't leave. Mm-hmm. The next best thing is hook up with a foreign guy. Ah, that's, it's interesting. Yeah. I can imagine you get a lot of stories there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and it's like a filter for more interesting women, at least for me, more interesting mm-hmm. women, right? Women who aren't yeah. like, oh, I'm not looking to get married. I just want to like have some good sex and, you know, learn about the world. Right. And so that, you know, I would be a conduit toward a place that they wanted to go in their heads. And it was great. I yeah. That. yeah. That's, that's, that's a cool perspective to have. Being the foreign dudes. Yeah. It just like adds <laughs> two like, points yeah. to your score. <laughs> it, always, it always seems to, right? <laughs> it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there are even places in the world where white is considered exotic. That blew my mind. Oh, yeah, I can, I can, I, you know, I've lived here my like in the U.S. my whole life. I couldn't yeah. even imagine. Well, like, and you're blonde. You're even like, you know, you went to India or something. You'd be just like harassed every step you took. Oh, really? I yeah. guess because I thought about traveling to India. Um, well, you should go. I mean, it's interesting. But as a blonde woman, oh my god, yeah, the attention <laughs> is just overwhelming. Oh, that's yeah. funny. I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have really occurred to me. It's, you know, you, you live your life and you are who you are. And like, yeah, yeah, it's, that's funny. Well, that's the beauty of travel, right? You, yeah. you see yourself against different backdrops mm-hmm. and suddenly things pop or see your life differently. You know? Oh, totally. Yeah. Right. It's a major perspective shift. Right so you're, so I'm, I'm imagining you, you're this dorky 16 year old. When you say dorky or nerdy, were you like good at math and stuff? Were you good in school or were you just checked out? I was really good in school. I was like a real, kind of a, I was I was a strange like mixture of like goody goody and like wanting to like be the the good girl and then also like having this other kind of side where it was like I was identifying with all these like rebels and outsiders. Yeah, there's something and, subversive about you. Yeah, yeah. I like that. You, I like that you would see that and say that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. That's definitely a good compliment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, in coming from that kind of environment, you're either in or you're out, right? Yeah. It's hard to. That's why I said you, I admire your parents for being, um, you know, going to church and being part of the community, but not being proselytizing or pushy. Yeah, about it. they really were really it's tough nice. to sort of stay in the middle ground there. Mm-hmm, I imagine for sure. 
Yeah. So you're 16. You, you have boyfriends and stuff, or you sort of checked out of that thing? Yeah. I mean, I was. I in my own mind at the time, I was like, oh, I'm this like hideous looking person, and no boy would have me. But I mean, mm. I was. I was just like, you know, a little awkward looking. I wasn't. Sure. You know what I mean? But it right. might story at the time and also not fitting in i also felt like you know i wasn't really connecting to a lot of a right. lot of guys and right and so I, yeah i didn't really have any boyfriends like my only real um experience as a teenager was when i was 18 this friend of my brother's who was became a friend of mine was like i was like i've never been kissed i'm so sad and he was like well, if you know, if you ever want to make out, we can just make out. That's all it can be. And so I ended up like going to his like apartment. Like he was like maybe like uh, 20 or something and had an apartment and like knocked on the door and I, I made out with this guy and that's all that happened. Sweet. So, yep, that was that was my exciting uh, teenage <laughs> sex life. <laughs> yeah. And what did you think? Was it a good experience? Oh, I was so happy. I was like, oh, my God, that was the best thing ever. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. But you didn't want to go further. No, I don't. I, I don't know if, if he had maybe pushed it further maybe i would have gone further but mm. i think i was just um happy to get something <laughs> <laughs> get your toe in the water exactly yeah, yeah or foot in the door or whatever yeah right totally so um but you've got this subversive thing going on with the beats you're reading jack kerouac and burrows and whatever else and yeah. and so you develop this relationship with the aesthetic of of that so and also we should mention to people this is the 50s this is before hippies yep, yep these the are proto hippies these yep. are you know when the culture was overwhelmingly vanilla and normal and totally just two kids and a dog and a picket fence yeah and, yeah like this prefabricated lives it seems like in a way yeah this is eisenhower yeah. and yeah like yeah so stifling stifling right yeah um now of course things were happening in black culture and other uh, mm -hmm. subcultures but the dominant sort of american white culture was just um there was the heyday of that shit oh for sure yeah yeah so you're reading this stuff you're in, uh, you're in the middle of nowhere and you're digging the aesthetic and these so the women as they're depicted are sexually powerful right these are these are like women big breasted curvy guns and you know telling smoking cigarettes yeah and, there's yeah. a lot of that femme fatale kind of imagery especially in yeah. like the 50s stuff i mean there was it's a mixed bag you know there it you know there are there is a lot of um you know exploitative kind of elements in that stuff too you know uh kind of putting women down for some of their choices like oh she had an abortion she's a terrible like woman and mm. or like you know just you know what you'd expect from that time period she had a baby out of wedlock you know right. she's dirty rule but, breakers yeah. yeah so there's a little there's a mixed bag in it but also there was this sort of um i guess empowerment and a little bit of an outsider um kind of aesthetic that i was drawn to with it and from getting into the beat kind of vibe with that, and then also the kind of 1950s Pulp Fiction femme fatale, then I started getting into the 1960s and the sort of like precursors. Um, I mean, they were considered, I guess, porn at the time in a way, but by our standards, I mean, they talk about like breasts as like watermelons and like orgasms as like fireworks and they're like, he kissed her there. You know what I mean? And like, there's, I mean, later on in the 60s, there, get, there gets to be a little bit more in the four letter word kind of vibe, but mm. mostly it's just like pretty- Thanks to Henry Miller. And yeah, exactly. It gets a little more explicit. Mostly it was yeah. just like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of bark and no bite, you know, just like crazy <laughs> covers, crazy titles, and then in inside. Well, but to the, to be fair to the person in that era, maybe it was really like, wow, this is 
Mm. You know what I mean? When they were dealing with legal limits that were much more stringent. This is before Playboy started pushing, you know, those yeah. limits on what you can say in a magazine or a publication. Henry Miller, as we mentioned yep, earlier. Exactly. So yeah. there were a lot of laws against obscenity. Uh, especially if it crossed state lines, I think that was a big deal. Yeah. So any kind of publication had to be very carefully vetted. And mailing. And yeah, and, um, there were, I can't remember the exact names of the court cases offhand, but there were a couple um, sleaze publishers who actually did open the door for other people to come in and, mm. and you know, they helped liberalize some of the, the stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how eroticism uh, sort of, paves the way for so much, cuts through so many obstacles in society. Yeah. There's a book called The Erotic, I think it's called The Erotic Engine, and it's about how um, visual media from the invention of photography mm -hmm. through digital cameras and stuff has been financed by porn. Oh, wow. I could see that. Every step of the way. Yeah, like the VHS revolution probably in the 80s is right. a big example of that, I imagine. Exactly. Yeah. Because there's this huge capital flow. Mm -hmm. You know, people want to see that stuff. It's all hidden. It's all quiet, yep. you know, uh, in the shadows. But uh, if you develop something that brings porn, makes it more powerful, more private, more whatever, you know, that you'll get huge funding. Then they develop the technology. Then Hollywood comes in after or, you know, Polaroid or whatever. Yeah, yeah. it's funny how that works. It's yeah. the dirty little secret, I guess, in a way. <laughs> dirty big secret. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're you're getting off on this stuff. Uh, getting off. I mean, you're, you're into it. You're developing into it. an interest into yeah. it. And then how does it become a business? Well, it was a little side hustle, mostly when I was a teenager. I was like precocious, you know, like outsider. So I would become friends with like a lot of times with adults. And I befriended the local um, lady who owned the tiny little used bookstore. And she had a lot of this old Pulp Fiction. And so I started selling stuff for her like on commission on eBay and started getting into that business. Mm. And then there was like a, a German professor at the local university who I started selling some record albums for and some other things. And I think I bought some old screenplays from him. So you were like a conduit to this mysterious internet world. Yeah, for maybe some these older people that maybe weren't as connected to it right i actually taught a class when i was like 16 to like for community education to some people who are quite a bit older than me um on how to use ebay so oh really yeah, i got paid to do it as a 16 year old it's pretty funny that's sweet <laughs> the community center yeah i think it was held at the high school or something yeah. but yeah in the same vein yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And uh, so you met the guy who eventually you married, right? Yeah. Through yep. this. And you were how old? 16 at the well, time? Well, originally when I met him, I was like, I, when I say met, I mean, like, talked to him on, on eBay. I was 16. And I saw he had this um, listing of all these, like, vintage, like, drug-themed paperbacks, actually. Mm -hmm. Like an early ace-double paperback of um, William S. Burroughs' Junkie that's actually, like, a three-four-hundred-dollar book. It's, like, pretty collectible. And then other ones, like H's for Heroin and um, Monkey on My Back and um, uh, Junkie uh, by another author. There's another book called Junkie. Marijuana Girl, Reefer, Reefer Girl, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so he was listing all these drug books, and I was like... And I was into all this Pulp Fiction. And the drug stuff obviously was interesting to me too, although I had no drug experience. And so I, I was like, I looked at this ad and this guy had all this information. He seemed like to be so knowledgeable about like the history of these books. And he put all this effort into writing this really thorough ad. And so I wrote to him uh, on eBay, like a message. And I was like, hey, like you seem really knowledgeable. Could you tell me more? So 
Yeah. And what, no, no. what happened? He said yes. Yeah, that was a, that was a fateful message. Yeah, and he yeah. he wrote back and actually were like pen pals for up until I was about. It was just like strictly pen pals off and on until I was about eighteen, just talking mostly about books and nothing really of any um, too personal significance that I can remember at that point. But yeah, mostly just kind of geeking out over this sort of shared collecting. Right. Yeah. And then when did you first meet in person? Well, when I was 18, like right after I had graduated from high school, um, looking back, I think he had broken up with his girlfriend who also happened to be 18 um, at the time. And he was what? And he was 30. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but it was like around May after I had graduated from high school. And he, he, he started like shifting the kind of vibe between us as like, you know, you're really special and like kind of rom- making it more romantic. And I hadn't really thought of him in that way before, but I was like really lonely and young and wanting to connect. And we had this thing in common. And so I ended up kind of like going with it with him and we started talking on the phone um, that summer. Like I was driving my parents crazy, like on the phone, like all the time talking to him. And he was like sending me all these gifts. Like he was sending me tons of these books. He's like, they belong to you. And like all these like love letters and and telling me like how special and different and unique I was. And like I was like him. I was, you know, I didn't he, I, he didn't fit in either. Like this whole like kind of narrative. And uh, he also was telling me about this um, business plan he had um, and how it was like a combination of communism and capitalism. And it was like, looking back, and I've gotten really into Jung at various points, and it really felt like it appealed to that part of me that like, was like, let's integrate the opposites. You know what I mean? Mm. So like the idea of a business that could, you know, blend our desire to compete and our desire to cooperate sounded really cool to me. I was like, these seem like all, you know, you know impulses that are valid and so he had this whole like story and narrative behind this business idea of his and it sounded super idealistic it sounded like something i could belong to and like be a part of and so he was really promoting that too and it actually i've looked back at some of our letters and it definitely got very strange i didn't realize it at the time i guess i was just young and wanting to connect but like he would write things in there about like th- our destiny and like how I was going to be his wife. And he would write, you will be the mother of a new God. Like he used that kind of language. I I looked back at the letters and I was like, I, I wonder why. I guess I was young and didn't really realize it. But I mean, it certainly sounds pretty cultish yeah. in, in retrospect. You thought like that's how all guys talked? Yeah. I mean, I'd only, I'd only made out with the one guy. So. Right. <laughs> you didn't mention anything about getting you pregnant with a god? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I will inseminate you with my god seed. Exactly. That's the that's the god. <laughs> yeah. I say that all the time to women. Yeah. I love how it. does that work for they you? I love it. Yeah. They're, they're well, really Spanish on. women who don't understand me. They're the. Yeah, they're the ones it works with. <laughs> uh, so, so then, where does it go from there? He did. He came to visit you. Met your parents. Well, there was this crazy incident. Uh, well, crazy. Maybe that's the right word. This incident when I was first going to college. So I started college that fall, and so we were still mm. conversing over phone and over email and over letters and all of that. And um, I had like one fuzzy navel. Um, you know, liqueur or whatever. And I wasn't a drinker and I had like really no, I'd gotten drunk like one oh, time. Oh God, I thought that was like a physiological condition. <laughs> fuzzy yeah, my, navel. My hairy, my hairy belly button. <laughs> picturing it. <laughs> right, right. Was, I didn't like it. 
that was a that was a bad visual. You need to like erase that yeah, one from your sorry. brain, right? Yeah. <laughs> you need a palate cleanser Maybe after that's that. That's how he knew you were going to give birth to a god. Yeah, the fuzzy navel. Exactly. Um, all right, so you're going to college. What are you studying in college? Um, I can't remember if I had quite figured it out then, yeah, but first year, who knows? I think I was already pretty sure though that I was going to be an English major. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was pretty pretty set on that. Great. Very practical. Yeah, very, very yeah. much so, right? Yeah. <laughs> so many opportunities to sure. yeah. get out there and be an English major. Yeah. yeah. Love that student loan debt. <laughs> yeah. Rack it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're going to college and, and what happened? Yeah. So I, fuzzy navel. Well, the fuzzy navel, yes. Uh-huh. The the peach liqueur. I think it was a peach liqueur of some oh, kind. Okay. Just to give you a little more context you. beyond the, yeah. you know. Sweet alcohol. <laughs> yeah. So I think I had like one on my dorm room floor like one night and I called him and I think, I, I don't even think I was very buzzed, but I was like oh my god I just had a drink it's so cool and like I was just like this was so new to me and all, all everything and he was like oh my god you're becoming like them I'm lo- I'm gonna lose you you're just gonna conform and you're gonna be like them and then he because he had this whole narrative with this ex that he had been with that he was already kind of you know telling me about in which mm. you know she went crazy and she just wanted to be a drunk and he was trying to get them to be pull it together you know and so he was like you are going to like be lost like her and I'm going to save you and I'm going to come to Minnesota and I'm going to go back to college and we're going to be together. And so (laughs) he's going to go back to college. Yeah. Yeah. In his thirties. So he can save you. Yeah. It's all about saving me. Clearly. I'm clearly the most important thing here. Yeah. Well, you're a goddess. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. With my fuzzy navel. (laughs) So where was he living then? He was uh, living in the southeast. Yeah, Atlanta down there. Somewhere. Yeah. So, he, so he comes to Minnesota to go to college. Yeah. So yeah. So he ended up like coming to Minnesota to go to college. He with really me. did. Yeah. Yep. And so yeah. So like it was like I think it was October. I want to say he got in on like October thirty first. And he got enough. accepted to the same college. Yeah. He went, it was like a liberal. Uh, it's pretty small, like um, Midwestern liberal arts college, Minnesota State University, Moorhead, like right next to Fargo, North Dakota. If that uh-huh. gives you a little bit of sure. a, a visual, yeah. So that's a so wonder how did he explain that to the admissions people? You know, he's like, yeah, I'm 30, want to go back to college in Minnesota. Yeah. Why, dude? I, you know, I guess maybe it wasn't that competitive of an environment, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't really remember. I mean, yeah. he might have shared, he kind of had a, a pretty, like, crazy life story. So maybe he shared some of his own personal uh, hardship in there. I'm not really right. sure how he went about that. Wow. But he got accepted. Right. And then, like, did you move in together or how did that work? Yeah, pretty much, like, immediately I was, like, pshaw, like mm. moved in with him. And, mm. like, I had I had my dorm still for, like, maybe a month. But then I, like, moved out of my dorm. And, right. Because I had, while he, before he got there, I, like you know got him a, I like tracked down a basement apartment he was like just get something cheap whatever you know we'll make do and hmm. yeah so I got him the apartment and and you were don't answer if mm-hmm. this is too personal but sexually you were still a virgin at that time oh yep I was a total virgin so this dude moves to Minnesota you get an apartment and you're a virgin yep I'm totally, yeah. So I guess that didn't last for long. <laughs> Not long at all, no. <laughs> no, it didn't. Right. I, I was definitely, uh, for lack of better words, a horny teenager. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. And, and you had a basement apartment. It's all you need. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. All right. So so your life sort of changed then. Now you've got this boyfriend you're living with. I mean, you go from nothing to yeah. living with a dude. Yep, right away. 10 years older or 12 years older than yeah, you? Yeah, I was 12 years older, 12 yeah. and a half, yeah. Yeah, okay. So how was that? Were you digging that? Um, You know, things were like 
okay, I guess. Like, I didn't really have a lot of frame of reference. Um, when I first got with him, I mean, he, so he did that initial, like, you are the most, you're awesome. But he also did little things to, like, sort of encourage my insecurity looking back on it. Like, mm-hmm. he sent me pictures of his ex-girlfriend who was posed in Playboy and they were naked pictures of her. And I don't remember why he sent them to me, but looking back, I'm thinking, like, why would, if you're trying to date a woman, why would you send, you know, naked pictures of your your ex? So she was actually in Playboy? Yeah, I think she was in some kind of special edition of some kind. Uh, yeah, and so he, and he did he did so he did little things like that to, like, sort of, I feel like, kind of plant the seeds of insecurity, it feels like, hmm. because as it would develop, I mean, you go from being, like, you're the, you're awesome and you're different um to like okay maybe on maybe sometimes i'm awesome and different but just as often he has contempt for me right you know what i mean and and now you know there's this sort of sense of like oh you're not special and i could be with anybody and what's most important to me is this business and like you know you're second to this business and like yeah so it's like this like sort of idealization and then this like devaluation right that i feel like kind of happened Right. So yeah. it gives you something to aspire to. Like yeah. you've been worshipped and, and admired. Yeah. So now you have to work to keep it or to get it back. Yeah. And yeah. and to get it from him, I w- w- was soon to start to discover was to basically be an appendage of him and agree with what he thought. Right. And there wasn't there definitely wasn't a lot of room for me to have my own opinions. And I had that kind of like rebellious, subversive, like, well, I'm a you want to call me a heathen, you know, fine i'm a heathen you know what i mean i had that part and i feel like he fairly quickly sort of like stamped that down yeah you're rebellious yeah my yeah my more of that like fiery part yeah yeah so like when did you start to feel like you like this relationship wasn't good for you um you know i feel like i was so just wanting like love and belonging and just sort of like the, his the relationship with him was like sort of the air that I was breathing. I was like, you know, or like a fish in a tank, you know, it just becomes like water in a way. Mm. And it's normal. And like the first half of the relationship, I mean, he definitely was mentally um, abusive in certain ways um, and verbally would like put me down a lot. But there was there was there had only been like a handful. And I shouldn't when I say only, you know, I mean, these are not right. But there had been like a handful of incidents where he had pushed me or done something like that. But it was easier early on when there wasn't a whole lot of that to just be like, oh, well, that just happened. And, you know, he had a really bad childhood and his mom was abusive, you know, because his mom, according to him, and he told me the whole story about it, was a really uh, mean, cruel, cruel woman who f- physically abused, you know, him and his brothers and like, you know, threatened to kill herself as sort of like a emotional abuse tactic. Right. And so... I, had, I guess I had a lot of com- like compassion and empathy for where he was coming from, and it, and my and I, I mean I guess I I loved him on some level. Like looking back, it's hard to really characterize that the relationship is like love or loving because there was just so much shit in it. But to the best of my I guess ability in that moment, I, I guess I, I guess I, I, I how do I put this? Um, it was it wasn't bad enough at first for it to overcome the fact that I just so desperately wanted love and belonging. I guess is what I, how I would put it. Right. Yeah, and it wasn't until later in my 20s when some things happened which I'm sure we'll talk about that I it it escalated enough that I eventually was able to like see through the shit. And that was 10 years later? Um yeah, it was in like it was 
around when I was like 20, I want to say like 27. So about around 10 years later. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to understand those years. You're in your early twenties. Yeah. And I know you, you know, you, you said you felt dorky and you know, whatever, when you were a teenager, but you're objectively an attractive woman. Mm -hmm. You guys were coming on to you. Right. I mean, were you in, in small town Minnesota yeah. all this time or did you guys move somewhere? Yeah, we moved to like uh, Fargo, North Dakota to go to college. Uh-huh. And then eventually we ended up going to law school together. And we at the like in North Dakota at the University of North Dakota. You went to law school. Yeah, we ended up going to law school together. Did you finish? Yes. Yeah. So you're a lawyer. I am not a practicing lawyer. I never took the bar. Right. The The reason we went to law school is he had this business idea that he, you know, had this like. Uh, obsession with cultivating the narrative around and that that was why we went to law school like we were I was going to help him do his thing right essentially and his thing was going to be the thing that like saved everybody and saved America right and like I mean this is the real things he would say is like he was going to save America and with yeah, this with this business idea. capitalist yeah hybrid system yeah because it would be like a paradigm shifting idea and yeah. it would help people see that you know they could you know have hybrid um ideas about other things like almost like it was a unifying theory right. like the way he portrayed it right like, well did he have a name for it um I, I don't know if i should should i say it, the actual name of it it's up to you i, I don't know i'll call it by the the pseudonym pseudonym i've been calling it i've been calling it b-o-m bomb b-o-m <laughs> bomb yeah both best of markets something so uh so you went to law school to, okay so you're going to law school there are a lot of people around your age uh-huh Guys are certainly saying hi and inviting you out. And no, I mean, it, I was living in this like little bubble with him for the most part. Like, I didn't, we didn't really have a whole lot of friends. We didn't really, I mean, we had some friends, but it was, it was just this very like contracted like world and it would have him and I like, and you know, I was an outsider and there was this like us against them kind of mentality that he had and that p- did appeal to me on some level as a misfit who felt like people didn't like me and rejected me. So, I, you know, there, there's that little bit of like, oh, you know, people don't like you either. You're different, too. And so, like, there was that contracted kind of cl- kind of a closed off way that, you mm. know, maybe guys were picking up on or I also was, mm. you know, still kind of in my awkward phase. And so maybe that contributed to it. Yeah. Yeah, so there was an us against the world kind of mentality. Yeah, did you, you know, when you talk about his his idea, this this hybrid world changing idea, you sort of chuckle about it now. At the time, did it make sense to you, or was it just like whatever? He's a genius; it it must make sense. You know, there was always this little part of me that I feel like was like, is this really for real? Like. <laughs> But there was this other part of me that was like, oh, he's so much older than me and he's had so much more life experience and he's uh-huh. using all these like big words and talking about all these philosophers and he seems so smart and he seems like he's read so much and he has had a, a life in which I could see how he would be a divergent thinker. Hmm. And so and, and and also like it was a, the way he presented it was in this very idealistic fashion hmm. in which. I, I looking for something to believe in and to belong to and having an like a sort of an idealistic part of my own personality I think I, I gravitated toward that and was like I, I think in some way it became like a little bit of a, a religious belief yeah you know what I mean and what about yeah. the God thing 
you're going to give birth to a god. Did yeah. that did that keep coming up, or was that just a, a blip? <laughs> I think that was not? just the initial thing he used to seduce me. I then from, he didn't whisper yeah. that in your ear. No, I, no, no. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't get that like God talk anymore. Damn it. Right. You know? Did he have friends? Um. Yeah, we both had friends at various points, and you know, people would have looked at our relationship and thought, oh, they seem like a really close couple and they, and they seem like they're really great. And I guess in some ways, I mean, we were bonded by, you know, our feeling like outsiders and shared hobbies and interests and like, because we were both really still into all that collecting. But there, wa- there wasn't the true, like, happiness of like one person and one person together. It was like we were almost all him <laughs> you know what i mean we were right. yeah like i was like i said i was, felt like i had to be kind of an appendage of him in order for right. the relationship to have peace and harmony and right. at times yeah so you look back on it now earlier you were saying you know i guess i i guess i loved him in some way yeah how, do you, how does it look to you now yeah you know i kind of when we talked about that a minute i was kind of struggling with that a little bit because i think i really i feel like there was a part of me that must have loved him but i don't know it's so the whole thing is so polluted by just so much cruelty and so much like i mean he really dehumanized me and treated me like i wasn't even a person like especially did did you know that at the time did you recognize that's what was happening um you know not not really i think maybe because i'd been bullied already maybe in some weird way it was like i was used to being just kind of put down Hmm. and so I think like that was part of the recognition gap where it was was sort of like you're a child and you come into the world and you're, you know, you're with your family and my family was very loving, but you know, being bullied, maybe there was a part of me that's like, oh, this is just life for me. Like I'm just Mm. somebody that people put down, Mm. you know, and I don't, I didn't consciously think that, but I imagine that was probably part of my unconscious belief system. Do you feel like was the power dynamic erotic in any way? Definitely not. Definitely not. No. So it wasn't like you were... No. You have a masochistic kind of erotic stance that that fed into that... No, definitely no. not. No. no. Yeah. That's not a part of it at all. It's. I'm just so interested, you know, that I'm, I'm perplexed by the these strong female characters mm-hmm. that populate your consciousness, you know? I mean, I'm looking over your shoulder, there's this whole bookshelf full of uh, books and uh, I don't know, are those magazines that are all in, you know, individually yeah. wrapped. And I'm sure every one of them has some like dynamic, strong female character and your personal life is all about disempowerment. Yeah. Yeah. At, in those years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. like a, there's like a, a real weird chasm in there. And I, the only thing I can continue to keep coming back to is that that desire just, to be loved and to belong was just so powerful feeling like exiled and bullied when I was young Mm. and just really wanting to be a part of something and to be, you know, accepted. Like, I think that's been maybe one of my, maybe my, if I was like a hero in a story, that's my tragic flaw. Like that, that has like subsumed Mm. a lot of, a lot of who I've been. And yeah, but I feel like I'm coming to coming to more consciousness about that. And well, clearly, yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're what seven years out of this? Um, actually, I I left in August of 2016. Oh, okay. So it's right. been about almost, almost three. three years. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. So talk to us about that. How how did 
So you're going through this this time with him. You're in law school. You're you're like helping with his grand project. Yeah. Was there a moment where you lost faith or where he pushed it too far or what? Yeah. What changed the trajectory of your life to bring you here? Well, the big the big thing that happened is so like when I was in my late twenties, I liked you know I you know collected these books on taboo subcultures with you know with the pulp covers and all that. And uh, so I was just interested in the taboo and people doing, you know, things outside the norm in general, the whole outsider's perspective. And so I ended up getting an assignment. I had a friend who worked for this um, magazine that was this like kind of glossy little um, porno, like basically just a vehicle for advertising, like adult companies that you see in like the kiosk of strip clubs. And so I got a writing assignment to go to the swinger club and to write about like the club and to interview a couple. Uh, for this magazine and I went there with my my husband at the time the subject we've been talking about and um, I interviewed a couple and everything was you know cool and there was I don't know if I want to get into it but there was a incident where some woman was really like aggressive with me and it really freaked me out and my husband was really mad at me for like allowing myself to be touched by this woman when I didn't want it Mm. and um so there was this kind of mixed bag of feelings around it where it was like, oh, this we met some cool people, but there was this other thing that happened that wasn't so good. And um, But anyway, he kind of was like leading the way and was like, you know, you've never been with anybody else and I want to meet people and we need to get out of our bubble and I'm getting older and I'm still not doing my thing. This thing, this thing that he's constantly like, he's like literally obsessed with this thing. It's like throughout our entire relationship, this thing is like ever present, you know, this business idea. Yeah. And so, you know, he's, he think everything that we do feels like to him a gateway to do that thing. And so we end up going out and like, he's like, let's just meet a couple and see what happens. And like, just whatever, you know, I was, uh, by curious and he was like, you know, maybe you can, you know, meet a woman and have that experience. And so we meet this couple and right away, very quickly i you know this may be a bit of a over i guess estimation of what was happening in retrospect but i fell in love with the guy essentially um he was kind he had a lot of trauma in his life that you know made me made it easier for me to identify with him and he he wasn't like projecting his trauma out at others like my ex was that's when the shit hit the fan when i fell in love with this guy and that was like the first night you met him or you guys had an ongoing thing um so we were hanging out with them like for a while for like a month or so and the feelings of starting to fall in love happened maybe within like two or three weeks Hmm. I think I, at first there was no like we didn't kiss or anything like that. I think by the time I had act, maybe when I kissed him or something that like almost like felt like a magical spell or something of like, oh, I'm falling in love. And this guy is really sweet. And Were you really, having sex with him? Uh, not at not at that point. Oh, not at okay. all. Yeah. Because some swingers have sex but don't kiss. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. There's some interesting rules in that world. It's yeah. Definitely more restrictive in some ways. Yeah. Depending on the couple. But yeah. Well, and kissing is actually a higher risk than than having sex. Yeah. <laughs> With the str- you know, hepatitis you can get from kissing. It's pretty yeah. nasty. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Um, so so you so this is really the first guy who sort of came into your orbit over those years. You, you know, it sounds like yeah. you guys sort of excluded I mean, I don't know, maybe one of his friends would have been, you know, came over for dinner or something. But Yeah, we yeah, we lived in this like kind of like c- contracted bubble. 
Yeah. Yeah. There was like he he would always refer to it as you want to you want to keep living in a coma. Like he it was all my fault. Like he hadn't done mm. his business because I was too weak. That was his big thing. Oh, I, I see. You're weak, and you you know you're afraid of everything in life, and like he like I was young when I met him, and I he really fostered like I felt kind of incompetent in the world as a young person might without a lot of experience Mm. and instead of like encouraging me to like you know learn how to like do things he was both um you know enjoying having the power of like running things in the relationship and having contempt for me for you know not stepping up and not learning things and I just was in this like kind of paralyzed mode of like I don't right I can't if do you anything. make a mistake he's gonna shit all over you exactly right. yeah and yeah, yeah so you kind of fostered that sort of yeah yeah so so you meet this this couple what was the woman like um you know she was really I don't, I don't want to say too much too much about her but she was so she must not have liked to see you falling in love with her guy no she definitely was not happy about that and yeah. i i can't say i blame her i mean looking back i mean that that wasn't the parameters of the what we were stepping sure. into and i wasn't trying to fall in love with him right um so i wanted to leave my husband i i wasn't trying to get with this guy like in a relationship he's married and he has a family um but i, I was like i met a guy that was nice to me and i'd like to, now i'd like to go out into the world and meet a guy that's nice to me like mm. instead of being with this person who's obsessed with this business and thinks i'm weak and blames me for everything wrong in his life and why he hasn't done his business and you know, and fosters my sense of incompetency and like puts me down. And, and so I'm like, I don't want to be with this person. I, so I was having like an awakening through falling in love, like a coming to a different level of consciousness about what was happening. And, um, I told him I wanted to, I wanted to leave. I wanted to break up with him. I didn't want to be with him anymore. I wanted to move to, you know, to Seattle and, and be with my brother, um, be out here with my brother, you know, and my brother could help me kind of start a new life. Hmm. And, um, so, uh, he, we had this, this thing and he was starting to get more violent at this point. The exact sequence of events is a little unclear in my memory, but it was, it was, there was definitely an escalation happening that I was feeling. And, um, one night in particular, I was like, I really just want to go and like live, live with my brother and move to Seattle. And I'm, you know, this is what's going to happen. And I went to bed that night and the next morning I woke up and he was like, I have an idea. We can move in with this couple you know, and we can, you know, be, you can be with this guy that you so need. You need, you need to be with a nice guy. Well, you can have him too. And we can save our marriage and all this stuff. And he started like, was constructing it like this almost like hippie commune kind of thing. They had kids, interestingly, and we didn't. And, and, and I was like, um, I, I didn't really want to do that. I just wanted to leave. But I also felt all this, I guess, there was just always this like kind of, feeling of fear around everything and like is he gonna snap is he gonna go crazy you know he's obviously not well mentally and so i ended up agreeing to you know get with get with the program and like move in with this couple and so we ended up actually getting a a house with them renting a house and it lasted for like 10 days before like the shit hit the fan and like everything just exploded they moved from another part of the country right well they moved yeah they moved from actually just a different part of the state yeah oh, okay yeah with their kids with their kids to yeah. live with this couple that they met at swinging yeah oh yeah they were having some financial problems and they were really struggling where they were living and we had met their children at this point and there was a definitely a bond with that happened with the children huh. but yeah it was just 
<laughs> when I, you know, Chris, when I'm talking about this, there's a part of me that's like this. Like, so much of it sounds so absurd, like yeah. you know, in a retrospect kind of way. That yeah. I, you know, I've, I've had these moments on um, psychedelics, like ayahuasca in particular, where I've just been like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we've all been there, and that's that's what I mean about it being sort of emblematic. You know, I've. There's certainly stories I could tell where I would be cringing, like, how on earth did I think that made sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for saying that, because that's definitely what I feel about a lot of it when I'm talking. I'm like, yeah. where, where was my, like, where was I? Like, I feel like I was, like, lost. Like, I was asleep at the wheel of my life. Like, I was almost like I was, like, maybe in a PTSD perspective, it was almost like I was playing dead. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. was in a freeze response or something. Yeah, yeah, and... I don't know. I think about this kind of stuff a lot, like getting older. You know, I've said this on the podcast. I feel like there's a there's a point in your life where you become you and then you just start getting older. But before that point, you're different people. Yeah. And so I I feel like maybe what's happening with you here is that you're looking back on this woman who wasn't quite you yet. That feels really, yeah. You know, like, and that's why it's so hard for you to understand her decisions because it's really like you're looking at someone else, like a, a younger sister or something. Where like, yeah, we have so much in common, but I don't get how you're thinking. I don't really know what you're experiencing. Yeah, exactly. And as well, I'm, as I'm talking with you about it, it's like I, I, and I'm still, I feel like on like a just a day to day level, trying to wrap my mind around everything that happened. Like it. Like you said, it feels like somebody else's life. Like, yeah, I'm talking about like a, a the movie, a movie I saw in yeah. a way. Well, you're what, 32? I'm 35. You're so. 35. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For me, somewhere around 35, the early 30s, somewhere is when I became me and, yeah. and just started getting becoming older versions of me. Yeah. But before then, there's definitely like, wow, who is that guy? Like, yeah, you're figuring it out. Some of the risks that I took and like decisions i made that yeah i would never do that now i would never you know put i, I mean i i, I made decision I, for example i had this experience with heroin in thailand mm-hmm. and i overdosed i didn't know at the time i was overdosing but i did and then i did it again a few days later mm-hmm. you know i I think about the pain that my parents would have been in if I'd killed myself in Thailand in some shitty little guest house, you know, being careless with drugs. Yeah. You know, like what a dumb fucking thing to do. Right. Or, you know, I I, riding motorcycles around Thailand, you know, with no insurance and shorts. And like, you know, if I had been in an accident, who would have paid? My parents would have had they would have mortgaged their house you know, to fly me out of Thailand and, you know, get me therapy or whatever they could do. And I know they would have done it, Mm -hmm. but putting them in a position where that was a possibility, like, what the fuck, dude, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we all do dumb shit in our twenties is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Yeah. It feels better to talk about it and put it in that context (laughs) because like I, I, part of me, like I want to have compassion for my younger self and like just recognize like this was the information I had at the time. This was the consciousness I had about the situation. I was young. There was a lot of manipulation. There was abuse. Like I, I you know, we're on some level, I'd like to believe that we're doing the best we can with what we have, you know, and so I try to come back to that place of compassion. 
But while I've been writing this book, I do have those moments, you know, about these experiences that I'm writing um, where I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, how, how did this happen? Well, and it's, it's hard when you're young and you place a lot of faith in someone older than you that, you know, that they're going to steer you right and they're going to guide you and, you know, like, yeah. It's you become a bit of um, I don't know you're letting someone else drive. Yeah, for sure. You know, and there's that whole tendency with men and women where the man always drives, and right. then the woman sort of atrophies in her ability to drive, and oh, yeah. he's a better driver than me anyway, and you just sort of stop making decisions about where you want to go in life. Yeah. So why so. why did you not have kids? You know, when I was in my early 20s, I still wanted to have kids. And I remember being in the car driving with my um, ex-husband, now ex-husband. And um, he was talking about this other part of his, you know, grand plan, which was that he wanted to, like, have this, like, commune of children in Nebraska. And he wanted to, like, raise them to not be, you know, part of society's bullshit. You know what I mean? Right. And it was at that moment that I was, like... I don't think I want kids because <laughs> really? I mean this was the guy I'm with and he has right. this his idea of having kids is this sort of like you know cult, cultish um and I didn't think of it at like that time because he presented it like well he wants to make you know a better life for them and for them to not be influenced hmm. by the bad things in society yeah but I think there was a part of me that like was like I don't yeah. want to have kids with somebody that that yeah. this is his idea of having kids well, it seems like a move he would make to lock you in you know right yeah i think he was just didn't like the, he was he was very lazy in a lot of ways oh, saved <laughs> yeah saved by the laziness You're right yeah. yeah like i always like laugh like he never liked putting on pants like it was just too much effort for him so he'd like walk around all the time in his like boxer briefs and like it's an attractive yeah. quality yeah yeah <laughs> yeah not yeah. a fan of pants <laughs> I'm not far from that. I, I spent a lot of time in sweatpants, I have to admit. That's well, understandable, like, right? It is comfy. It's, they're comfy. Um, so, okay, so the, we're back to the shit hitting the fan. So this this couple comes, they're 10 days, and then I don't know what happened What happened in 10 days. Well, you know, it just became, I guess, clearer and clearer that, like, yeah. the woman was not cool with it, uh-huh. and she really didn't really like my husband all that much, really, and, right. like, they were at odds, and there was just all this like just crazy looking back like what the fuck kind of stuff you know and so we ended up moving out and getting our own place and like breaking the lease and we were in like our own like loft apartment and that was when my ex got it in his head that well you know you betrayed me and you didn't want to be with me and like you wanted you destroyed our marriage and you ruined everything and therefore now i want us to be the king and queen of swing and so he basically went on this ego-driven, you know, thing in which he wanted to just, like, meet couple, meet couples, meet couples, and, like, sort of, pr- I guess he felt, like, a loss of power when I didn't want to be with him, so it was, like, an attempt to regain power, you know, through this Right, or bed to notching. use you as a bridge to, to someone else. Yeah, exactly, right. yeah. Right. So yeah. he's sort of pimping you out to like get into that whole swinger scene yeah yeah and there were definitely Uh, people that i met in that scene that i felt comfortable with and i I liked but there was a lot of pressure from him right you know and a lot of um a lot of situations that i definitely was not comfortable and did not want to do and he knew that and yeah how long did that last um well there was a period for about i want to say like two years where he was in that like push mode maybe a year and a half i can't quite remember exactly 
but then what ended up happening is i fell in love with somebody else uh-huh. <laughs> another person that was nice to me and i again wanted to leave and the second time i was like in the in you know it's often a process when you're in an abusive relationship to continually like chip away you know at the reality that this other person has constructed like it's a loss of reality and i think that's something that may be hard for people who haven't been in that situation understand like Mm. the person who controls what you believe and controls your reality like i mean they have have a tremendous amount of power over you right and so i'm constantly chipping away with at that and i'm having experiences you know with like psychedelic like mushrooms in particular oh you started at this period yeah in this period that are sort of that is sort of like awakening me because he had become you know, particularly violent after I betrayed, quote, betrayed him and wanted to leave. And every, you know, he would tell me like everything that I'm doing is because you ruined our marriage and like, you know, you have to pay me back. And like, you know, I mean, you're, you know, you're, we were, everything was great and you're responsible for this. And like, you know. So that impulse to leave got subsumed in your sense of shame and guilt yes. that you you owed him something reparations or yes something? definitely like i i because there was a part of me that was like well maybe everything was good and maybe i did ruin everything and like but it, but it wasn't it was it was it was good in the sense that it was well good is not the right word it was okay if i was just whatever he wanted me to be right but you know if i was my own self then hmm. it, it wasn't good but but yeah, so a couple of years this went on. Yeah, that went on for a couple of years until I yeah I, I I had actually an experience on psychedelic mushrooms. We were hanging out with the couple where I was falling in love with this guy, and um, I looked at my ex husband, you no know, now ex husband. I looked at him and I was like, "What am I doing here? Mm. What is happening? This is terrible. This is like a nightmare that I'm in," you know, mm. and like yeah, all of a sudden it was just like something like clicked psychologically in in my consciousness and I wanted to leave again. And there was all kinds of crazy things that happened when I was trying to leave the second time, like, you know, him sitting around playing with a gun, you know, to be threatening to me, um, him threatening to kill himself so that I would not leave. Um, you know, him insisting that I stay in the apartment with him while I was preparing to leave him so that I could help him with our business and I would transition out of the relationship, you know, emphasizing these practical things when really it was about control. Yeah. And so I almost left him that second time, but I, I chickened out. Um, and maybe chickened out isn't a, isn't a good way to say it because I mean, I, I was, I was quite frankly, I was scared. I mean, he told me he was going to destroy my life. Um, his level of, of violence was pretty brutal at times um yeah he it was dark mm. it was really dark and again like looking back on that and like talking about it I, I it's hard for me i'm like what what was happening and you know how did i not you know and, and then it hurts too when people say to you well why don't you just leave and you know and but yeah. It's it's there's a lot going on psychologically that's really complicated. Yeah. Did you yeah. talk to your parents about it or your brother or anybody? Um, I did reach out at from time to time to them. Um, yeah, like he called my parents the second time that I tried to leave him, and was like, "Your daughter is doing drugs," and because I was doing mushrooms, but he was so was he, but. He was also like in, and also um, I have been I have been abusing her. I've been hitting her. He told my parents, 
and he expected my parents in his mind to like be on his side and be like your daughter's a problem and you know i maybe maybe i shouldn't be hitting her but his focus wasn't that my parents would be (laughs) concerned about me as much as they would like understand his perspective um and so my parents were like that's not right you know and that's horrible and and um that he talked to my brother and my brother's like you 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 know you will not hit my sister you are stop making excuses fuck you basically and like hung up the phone on him and then called me and um and you know my I, t- I, I, I was in a state of denial and I told my family like yeah I'm leaving him and all that but then when I got back and was like oh never mind I'm not leaving him I I was I don't know it was just I was afraid you know he threatened to destroy my life I only knew life with him for such a long time this had up to this point I mean it had been you know ten, like I think over 10 years that I'd been with him right and um, you know he created this reality yeah yeah and I, I guess my my family like they lived far away and I feel like they just they were just like our, I guess our daughter doesn't want to leave you yeah. know and yeah yeah it's okay. complicated so he he intimidated you and and with the gun and the threats and all that and uh and then what um well so I'm like still like staying with him at this, you know, while he's doing all these things with the threats and everything. And I just, I don't even remember exactly what happened, but I think, I guess he was being kind of nice for maybe in this little pe- time period that we're talking about. And I just remember going, like I, we were, we were talking or whatever, and we were having a conversation and things seemed like normal in that second. And I went to the bathroom and I came out and I was like, maybe I'm making a mistake. Maybe, maybe he is right. Maybe we really, he is really like this great person. Maybe I really did destroy everything. And I was like, I guess I'm not leaving. And again, like thinking back to it, I'm just like, what the, Hmm. you know, he would always talk about the power of belief and how powerful that was. Yeah. And it is powerful. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, and he'd been indoctrinating you since you were 16, right? Yeah. Like that's that's your whole life at that point. Yeah, and I know he had studied, um, you know, neuro-linguistic programming. And not to say that that makes you an, an abuser, like, but that, I mean, that could be used as a tool of manipulation. Hmm. And um, he was really into, like, you know, understanding, like, propaganda and things like that. And, right. Yeah. He read Neil Strauss's books? I don't think he did, actually. That's surprising. No, I mean, he probably just hadn't heard of him, I right, guess. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so, so where does it go from there? So I, I ended up staying with him. And then for a good, like, I want to say year or so, he was a lot. I mean, he was still, like, sh- 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 shitty and, like, had a lot of, like, anger if I didn't do what he wanted to do. But he mostly kept, like he wasn't violent for a while mm. and um you know if things were things were definitely shitty but not as not as not as bad did you ever crave the violence no definitely not no it no. wasn't like a sign that he really loves you or no. no okay no definitely not no i yeah i didn't have any kind of connection with it like that mm. um i had yeah, I, I thinking like it was just so incredibly dehumanizing like I mean, I honestly feel like he felt like I was almost like an object in his collection. You know, he talked about the collecting thing. Hmm. Was he seeing other women? 
Um, well, because we were in, the, in this lifestyle, oh, you know, there right. was some openness at various, you know, in various ways, you know, pretty much always like, you know, dictated by what he would want. And, you know, I will say sometimes I would get drunk and I would like, you know, maybe I make out with somebody I was like, wasn't supposed to. And then, you know, he would be very angry about that. And mm. there were these I was drinking a, quite a bit. You know, maybe that's something that should be said, too. I was, like, drinking a lot. Mm. Um, like, it, probably, like, three times a week, at least, and getting pretty drunk. And, like, that, those urges would come out, like, to, like, a certain independent self when I was drunk. Oh. And I, I, I never, like, went, was, like, crazy like him, but I would, like, cry or I would, like, say something that he perceived as, like, you know, sassing him or something like that. You know what I mean? And. Mm. And so that, so there were, the, there were these little leak, like, like little, like leaks of my other self that was repressed, right? you know, at times. Interesting. When you said you were drinking, I was thinking you're probably self-medicating to make it more tolerable. But in fact, it was the opposite. The drinking allowed the truth to come out a little more. Yeah, it definitely did. In vino did. veritas. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what broke the, the spell? Um, so it ended up happening, interestingly, that I fell in love with somebody a third time. <laughs> Has it occurred to you that you weren't really falling in love with these people? Uh, yeah, I don't think I really was, probably. You were falling in love with getting the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah, it was like, a. have talked to my, I've had two therapists at once at various times. I've been in a shitload of therapy and yeah. tried all kinds of different, like, healing modalities from, like, psychedelics to ecstatic dance to meditation, mm. you know, to taking authentic relating classes like all i've done i've been all over the map since i've gotten here and like looking for healing hmm. and um so yeah like i one, one of the things my therapist and i talked about was that creating this like fantasy of like a love that was um good you know was part of what kept me going and like it was like sort of i don't know something to hope for i guess mm. and so yeah like getting the fuck out of dodge it was more about that than it was really about like falling in love with somebody i think yeah yeah in any case you got this feeling of infatuation with someone else yeah that was nice it was always somebody who was like genuinely like really kind and nice right yeah and like that really like actually i felt like that these people actually saw me as a person yeah like there was something Difference. Well, it's like there was there was some essential element missing from your diet, and every once in a while you got a meal that had some in there. Yeah, and it was like, oh my god, what did I just eat? That tastes so good. Yeah, my body needs that. Yeah, yeah, I was kindness. like starving, Ki starving for kindness. Oh and yeah, respect. starving for yeah, love and kindness and belonging, and that's you know, you know, Chris, that's what I keep coming back to over and over again when I'm trying to understand like that, like we said, that younger self that I just can't wrap my mind around some of the things that I like tolerated or like how did I survive that? Why didn't I just all the questions? But yeah. what it constantly comes back to over and over again is I just I was so deeply wanting to be loved and wanting mm. to belong, like. Yeah. And I And when there's only one apparent source of it, how yeah. do you walk away from that? Yeah. And with and yeah. that intermingled with like fear and, you know, threat the, the threats and like you know, and just force of habit. Yeah. At that point Famili after 10 years, that's a pretty important strong force. Yeah, familiarity. Yeah. yeah. So you're you're feeling in, infatuated with someone else, how does that spring you? What happened? Well, whenever, yeah, whenever that happened, then I would like, all of a sudden my, I felt like my consciousness would shift and I would be like, oh, like I could, I could only be in denial for so long of yeah. how I really felt. And so interestingly, I ended up, um, 
that felt that happened and then nothing came of it. it you know nothing really came of these instances of falling in love and then so a couple months later i ended up taking the landmark forum which we interestingly we were talking about at the beginning um before we started a taping right and um in it like you were encouraged to like get complete with things and people in your life that you weren't complete with and I, I at some point you know obviously my husband came up as you know somebody that I needed to get complete with and figure things out with at least according to what we were all talking about in this group and I started like writing him this letter and I was like as I'm writing him this letter I'm like I don't want to get complete with him. I just want to leave. Like, I don't want to be with him. Like, and so I actually was like, let me have a moment of authenticity because authenticity is a big thing with the landmark forum. Mm. And I was like, let me have a moment of authenticity. Let me call my brother and tell my brother what I'm really feeling and get his help. And so I ended up calling my brother and my brother was at work and he told me that he like did this dance like in his office, like was like, oh my God, I'm so happy. And his, his coworkers like, what's going on? And he's like, my sister's finally going to leave her abusive husband. <laughs> And so he was really happy. Wow. And so from there, like I started talking with my therapist and like, because I had, I, I had a therapist at the time that I wasn't telling the full extent of what was going on with mm. me. Like I was like hiding it. Right. Like I was afraid. I don't know. I, I still don't quite know why, but I wasn't telling the therapist. Yeah. And so the therapist started helping me kind of safety plan a little bit. And the eventually, so eventually I did tell my ex, my husband that I wanted to leave again. And again, it was like, you need to stay and help me divide. It was the same song and dance as before. And some things happened um, right before I actually left where I guess there was always a part of me that didn't want to maybe didn't want to believe that the level of darkness that he had in him was at that level. Like maybe wanted to think maybe he was just acting out or lashing out. But like. There was a, there was a situation that happened where he admitted that he wanted to um, I, he was requiring that I still have sex with him um, even though we were getting divorced and he knew I, I didn't know I didn't know this but he was like well he's well I need to take a breath on this one this one's kind of hard um, so I didn't want to maybe I should start from the beginning of the story on this um, I didn't want to you know sleep with him and I. I, I tried to approach him using nonviolent communication. I'd just taken a workshop on it actually at this like polyamory convention that I went to. And I approached him with it. I tried to be like, well, could we use a condom? Like I wanted to make a request like, cause I didn't want to have sex with him period. But I was like, well, maybe if I at least have a barrier, like I would feel like less horrible about it. And so I went, we were at this restaurant and I was like, I could, could we use a condom? And he literally started like gritting his teeth at me. And he said, it's war, bitch. And he said, you want to play it this way? And I was like, uh, never mind, never mind. It's fine. We don't have to use a condom. Like, uh, like trying to like deescalate things. And I wanted to calm the situation down because I didn't want to go back. To, he was going to go elsewhere, but I didn't want to go back to our house and, you know, be like waiting around for him to come back and for him to be in a rage or something mm. so we went out to the his car and he's like you're disgusting and i was like well if you think i'm disgusting why do would you would you want to have sex with me and he said i know how much you hate it and i want to punish you and that moment of realizing just how 
much hate he had in him that it wasn't just like he was traumatized he's lashing out you know i think there's a part of me that maybe thought well maybe he's just like being how his mother was or you know wanted to like not face the the full extent of it but when he admitted that he wanted to punish me and he knew how much i hated it yeah that was there's an incredible level of self-hatred in that yeah like, I know I disgust you. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So that broke it for you. Yeah. That, that was it. I remember driving home in the car s- screaming. Mm. Just like screaming. Like, I don't know how I even drive. I was like kind of like, ah, like pounding my hands on the steering wheel and like... Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I called my brother then and was like, this, I can't play by his rules. Like, cause yeah. I was always trying to like, okay, if I'm compliant, if I do what he, you know, then I can like leave in a way that will be safer and it'll be better. And maybe he won't be, uh, cause he was always, th- that's another thing. He was always threatening revenge on me. Like he was going to just somehow destroy my life. You know what I mean? And the idea of like, you know, somebody kind of trying to destroy me was like quite terrifying. And I think it would be for most people. Yeah. I mean, just a messy divorce is <laughs> terrifying, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, and, and when people are not abusive, it's right. a messy divorce. Yeah, and he's a lawyer. When did he finish law school? Well, we both graduated, but we never practiced. Right. Yeah, but knows the law well enough to be a giant pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and yeah. So, uh, I, you know, you you were talking. I, I was going to ask you. I was I wasn't sure if I should ask you about the sex because you know you're staying and staying and staying and you don't want to be there. And I assumed that that you were still involved with him sexually. But like, at what point does I'm not into this become I'm being raped? Yeah, that's that's a really it's a really like. I mean, honestly, like I, I felt like so much of the sex that we had, like he knew that I didn't want to have, and it. I mean, it felt like it felt like rape because I didn't feel like what I wanted was part of the equation. Like, right. and he, and yeah, and he clearly demonstrated by that story. I just told like he knew that I didn't want it. Is that why it was so disturbing? Because you were because you realized then that you. It, it's almost like you had been raped retroactively. Yeah. To, like to, maybe you thought it was comforting for him, you know, you were allowing him to imagine for a minute that you, you were still connected, that yeah. you were giving him something comforting that he needed. And in that moment, he said, no, no, you weren't comforting me. I was raping you. Yeah. The fact that he actually said that, like, I guess I just, yeah, I didn't, didn't realize it, it reached that level. Yeah. So that, in a way, could you say, was that a gift? That that level of violation finally pushed you out? Yeah, I guess, yeah, and it d- definitely in the end, because it showed me, wow, this, you know, for all the, you know, guilt or shame that I had, because I, like, fell in love with these other people, that he, like, was, you know, constructing this narrative of everything being my fault, like, for it, for t- to see the real level of darkness that was in him. It was amazingly honest, right? When yeah. he said, it's war, bitch. Like, he exposed himself to you. Yeah, that was one of the, one of the, most, one of the most cruel moments, definitely, by far, that he had been, in, been toward me. Like, the most... 
I mean, he he was he was cruel plenty of times, but that was there's just another level to that. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. I mean, I'm I understand why it felt cruel, but I, I kind of feel like, in a way, like I, like like he was honest. If he had been that honest with you all along, things would have been different. Yeah. Would have been better. Yeah. You would have left when you, you know, it, yeah. the first time you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I never, I never quite thought about it before, but yeah, since that like set me over the edge, if I had, if he had been so clearly, you know, real about his horribleness, like, right. yeah, maybe, maybe it would have been the, the necessary yeah. trigger point to like really push me. Yeah. So, okay, so you got out and you came to Seattle to be with your brother and picked up your life from there. And yeah, you know, it was yeah a couple days after this whole thing happened um, with the It's War Bitch incident. Um, there was a, a, a less serious thing that happened where I refused to bring his cocaine to a swinger party. And I, I was like, I'm not traveling in my car with it. And he like had like a freak out at me on the phone that I wouldn't bring his cocaine um to this party and i that actually right then i dropped everything and i called my brother and i was i was standing there in a towel i had just taken a shower like it was just really spontaneous and i said i need you to come get me now and he was my brother was at his girlfriend's family reunion like near portland somewhere and my brother got on a plane and took a red eye and i took my i took my car and my dogs and like one suitcase got a hotel that night and my brother like flew flew in early and we drove across the country we, and we drove to my we initially drove to my parents house and stopped there but like yeah we didn't we didn't i think we i want to say he almost drove like 24 hours non-stop like we were seeing like we were having like hallucinate both having hallucinations by the end there like it was pretty it was pretty intense like wow yeah wow here's to your brother yeah my brother definitely like came in and yeah he my brother's a really good my brother's a huge heart like mm. he's a really good guy yeah yeah my parents are too they're really sweet people what did you tell me last night about an ayahuasca experience and having a vision of your ex-husband or, oh. or no you heard something about him oh right yeah it was it was actually almost a year ago to like next week i think that was like the first time i ever did ayahuasca so you left did he did he chase you reach out try to fuck with you or did he just let you go well for the initial week or so we we bought some time we kind of i won't get it too into it's kind of complicated but we had this like scheme in which we made him think that i was in north carolina and mm. that i was just visiting out there and that i just needed to clear my head oh, so we okay. kind of bought a little bit of time right. to like kind of distract him for a minute so that i could take a breath and get to seattle and so what ended up happening is um once he found once i revealed and was like i'm really gone like I set boundaries and I was like, I will not talk to you. He tried to talk to me on the phone. I was like, I will not talk to you on the phone. I will only communicate with you over email and text. And so we came up with these agreements with the property and I did all the work on the divorce papers and we were supposed to sell off the assets that we had together and, you know, divide everything 50 50. And eventually it came to the point where he completely was not giving me my, my share. Mm -hmm. And, um, I kind of felt like it was a lost cause at that point to get my share, but I was like, what am I going to do? Like, we didn't really we didn't really formalize it in the divorce. I just wanted to do the quickie divorce, get it over with. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to drag out some long like discussion of property and right. and so um he 
mostly didn't really communicate with me once I was gone, except for there were a couple things that happened where like one time I had t- I confided into somebody to, to somebody about how he had been toward me. And it somehow got back to this other person who told him and he was upset and just texting me like, why are you telling people about, you know, he's like, are you he's like, are you trying to be a victim? And like, you know, it, things are over and we both made mistakes and, you know, and and I'm like, yeah, uh, mistakes <laughs> This is beyond both making mistakes. Like, mm. you know, you were you were horrible. And I didn't say that, though. I just kind of played it off. I was like, yeah, I didn't say anything to anybody. Like, I don't know what they're talking about. Like, I just kind of. And so I didn't hear from him from that. And and so for a while, I was still afraid to, like, unfriend him on social media and to block him because there was always this overarching thing of, like, I will destroy you. And, like, he had, I mean, he had nude pictures of me and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, like, I had a lot of shame around that getting out there. And and, um, he taped me a few times, like, once when I was, like, really upset about something and crying and suicidal, like, he videotaped me, like, actually a few times with when I was feeling suicidal. Mm. And um, so there was all this stuff, and I, since he was such a manipulator, I was, there was a part of me that was like, are people going to believe him? Are they going to think that I, like, you know, is he going to somehow turn the table? Because he was very charismatic and good at people, making people think he was this empathetic, like, sensitive guy, and, like... He would even like sometimes chuckle like in the life the swinger lifestyle. He was like, "Yeah, you think I'm a jerk, but all these all these women think that I'm so nice." And he would kind of like laugh or whatever. And and so, yeah. So the social. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I I asked you a question that I interrupted you before you could answer it. It was yeah. about the the um, the ayahuasca thing. Oh, right, and- right. Yeah, getting back. Yeah, getting back to the ayahuasca. Um, that's good. Thank you. Tan- tangentially. Tangents on tangents. <laughs> yeah, tangents yeah. on tangents on tangents. Yeah, I tend to be, definitely tend to be a tangent talker myself. So, so, so yeah, like, uh, I, so it was a week before I was going to do ayahuasca and I finally, you know, got up the courage to like cut all social media ties. Like, cause I talked to my therapist and I was like, I don't want to see in, in have anything coming up related to him. Hmm. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. Like, I'm just going to have the courage to block him. Like, I, hopefully nothing bad comes of it, you know, despite his threats. And so a week, so it was that week. And then a week later, I was set to do ayahuasca that Friday. And then that Wednesday, I get a text message. I'm like waking up. It's like 8 a.m. in Seattle. I'm like waking up and I look at my phone and it's like, you know, there's a problem with him. You know, we we need to be in touch with you. And I'm, I wrote to, back to the person. I said, I'm not you know you need to contact his father or he had a girlfriend i'm like you need to contact you know these people this is nothing to do with me and i in my mind i'm like oh this is a ploy Mm. you know to get me back to talking to him on the phone or manipulate me like with the suicide threats or whatever it was and um i so i disengaged with whoever was trying to get me to like you know be a part of it and then my somehow or another i can't remember how i found out but like i got the news that he had gone into a coma my ex-husband and this was like two days like before i was set to do ayahuasca that mm-hmm. he was had gone into a coma the timing was in- incredibly was it your strange. first ayahuasca experience first one yeah and you went ahead with it i did yeah there was a part of me that was like well is this like too much but part of me was like maybe this is the way you know i i need healing around this mm. and yeah how was the experience 
You know, the first night was just, I, I went in there and I expected to face like really challenging things. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to be strong and I'm going to, whatever fucked up shit comes up, I'm going to f- be, you know, face it and try to be courageous. And, you know, I was just, that night I was just given like this really beautiful, like love experience. Mm. And it was just like, I just felt like everything was okay. I didn't have to like work for anything. I didn't have to try to heal anything, mm. you know, consciously. I didn't have to sort through any of the morass of like mm. you know things that we've talked about that i've been trying to sort through for three years you know i just because just be okay everything's right. fine like love this this is just love tonight beautiful and it was so beautiful like a welcoming gift yeah, yeah. it was so, it was so like I'm, I'm so hard on myself like for all the mm. things that have happened like there's a part of me that's like really still struggles with someone want to blame like why didn't i just leave and you know like and we know in our culture you get a lot of that like why didn't you just leave and right. and so to have that just gift of love was yeah. just yeah like good like you're fine like yeah you know second night okay the second night was a it was a little more challenging but I was gifted these two incredible mantras like at the beginning of the experience like. I went into this what felt like this like DMT world. It was like this black and white kind of cartoon land. And I looked at this wall and there was a sign and it said, laughter is free. And then I looked down under the, I was like on this overpass and there was like a semi truck uh, driving underneath it. And it said, come as you are. And so like I, the whole night I would, I was processing some difficult things related to the fact that like, whoa, I'm doing ayahuasca and I'm here to heal a lot of this related to, to like trauma and abuse and this whole confusing mess that I was in for so long. And I, I, I could just come back, you know, over and over again to, you know, these mantras and everything is okay. And I could just like hold myself up, you know, and try to be the strong person that I'm like now working to be in my healing process right now. Yeah. You know, and so like I, I felt that sort of sense of like, you got this, like as I process through the difficult moments and as i also confronted the fact that you know and maybe confronted as, as i came to realize the fact that on a deeper level like i wasn't getting it i was getting it intellectually that none of this was like it wasn't my fault that i had been abused like i was getting it intellectually but there wasn't this emotional disconnect where i felt like you know still like this is all your fault hmm. And ayahuasca was like, no, <laughs> mm. this is not your fault. Like you, can't, you, and, it, and I, w- I was given this message. Like you have to. It was like you have to stop taking on other people's bullshit mm. as yours. It's not yours. It's theirs. It's their shit. It's you know, this isn't your fault. And I feel like I, I mean, I still struggle sometimes with like feelings like we've talked about, like with the blame and like thinking, oh, why didn't I leave and all the questions. But in that moment, like I really got like on a deeper emotional level, like I really believed and it's I mean, I've, and that's still permeating me now, even yeah. that knowledge, that deeper knowledge that it wasn't my fault. Good. Yeah. And then a week later. And then, yeah, then about a week later, I got the news that, you know, they he wasn't this was a coma he wasn't going to come out of. And, you know, there wasn't there wasn't any turning back and they ended, they ended up pulling the plug. Hmm. and he was and I found out he was dead how did that feel it felt so strange like there was a part of me that was like oh my god you know his whole life like was so fucked up and like tragic and like you know he hurt so many people and he did so many fucked up things and he was in a lot of pain and that was my that was my first resort to feeling kind of like that 
but then there was a part of me that was like this is hard for me to admit because I feel I worry like I don't want people to judge me for feeling this way but this is how I feel I was like there was a part of me that was relieved I was like he's never gonna come here having gone crazy with his gun or like yeah he he can't hurt me anymore yeah you know and so there was a part of me that felt relief and it was hard for me to be honest with myself about that at first I just wanted to focus on you know that he had had a hard life and you know he had hurt people but like it was too bad that he had to be the way he was but I mean the relief was a a really powerful feeling yeah yeah anybody would have felt relief yeah you know some something that had caused someone who had caused so much pain and and concern in your life for yeah. them to be gone and of course there's going to be relief yeah for sure yeah we've been talking a long time you must be exhausted this is <laughs> i feel like i've just pulled so much or not pulled you you're very willing to share yourself and i think that's beautiful and you know the other night we talked about how a conversation like this could be valuable for people who are in similar situations yeah so thank you for being so vulnerable i think that in itself is hugely valuable for just someone to hear you admitting things and you know talking about the complexities of this is there anything you know, if you're talking, if you found yourself sitting here with a 22-year-old woman who's in a situation similar to where you were, is there anything anyone could have said to you? Hmm, that's a really interesting question. Is there anything you could say to them? Or are they just unreachable in that kind of a place? You know, a part of me just kind of feels like you have, like everybody has to get it, like something has to click. Right. Like something has to like all of a sudden like all the pieces have to come together like yeah you know I've I've looked so long and hard for this idea of like maybe there's like a magic like for healing my, like the trauma that I've been through I'm like maybe there's a magic pill maybe if I go to do an MDMA trial or you know ayahuasca and, and all these things you know therapy um, you know meditation like all the things they've definitely contributed to helping me but there's never been like a magic you know thing pill or thing any anybody could have said i don't think i think it's it's time and it's just i think it's just coming to awareness like you know and however that looks to you yeah yeah so if someone had had taken you aside and said astrid you deserve so much better than this you deserve to be happy could you have heard them or how what would that have sounded like to you you know it intrusive i think it would have felt wonderful <laughs> like mm. i was definitely open to open to that um yeah you know i i, I do wonder like i can't answer i guess maybe i can't answer that like for sure one way or the other yeah but i really wanted to be seen mm. and you know the times where i like when i've said that i quote fell in love or whatever like there were there was there was a sense of being seen a little bit in those moments yeah and so for somebody to have taken me aside and like you know said you know you deserve better and you know you don't have to tolerate this and this is wrong like i I, on some level i think i was like like i i knew it was wrong but i i wanted to hear that in the world more and i Mm. guess in some ways our culture definitely does normalize you know, abusiveness. And maybe I, you know, if I'd seen that or heard that, 
you know that strong like this is fucking raw <laughs> you know what right. i mean right. mirrored back maybe i would have been reachable it's hard to say mm. yeah that's a really interesting question well maybe that's what will happen now when people hear you yeah i really hope it like i would love to be able to make like a positive difference and and to help people who've been through the situation like understand like how complicated psychologically all of this is because it's too mm. it's so easy like and even i do it i'm like oh i should have just left and like all that we've talked about that over and over again and yeah but it, it's so complicated and yeah yeah uh thank you do you want to talk about websites and how to contact you or oh yeah do you, are you open to people contacting you yeah i would actually yeah i guess at this point the easiest way to contact me would probably be through my various like instagrams for my business um I think I mentioned earlier, I'm actually working on a book about um, experiences in the swinger lifestyle and also experiences um, in the abusive relationship with a friend of mine. And that's not coming out yet, but so that's on the horizon. And that so maybe staying in touch through social media would be Hmm. would be the best. Um, So I'm on Instagram at Thoughtopian. And maybe I feel like maybe I need to spell that. That's kind of a bit of a mouthful. It's you think I should? Sure. T H O U G H T O P I A N. It's like the word thought with like like utopian. Exactly, yeah. like on the end. And then my other one is for my other business is uh fringe pop. That's a little easier to remember. <laughs> It's funny we pick these names and like you think back. It's like maybe I should have picked something a little Fringe easier problem. to remember. Yeah, yeah. I picked uh, Chris Ryan PhD, and I've been regretting it ever since. Yeah. So everybody makes fun of it. Like, oh, you have a PhD. Make sure everybody knows. Oh no. <laughs> and then my friend Duncan Trussell changed his handle to Duncan Trussell PhD. Oh no! Yeah. Oh god, I love Dun- Duncan. So great. He's like great, yeah. I listened to Duncan so much when I was in the abusive relationship that oh, I was really? in, and he was like a real shining light for me. Yeah. Yeah, his podcast. He's like, yeah. He's an irreverent fucker. Yeah, he is. He's pretty hilarious. Thoughtopia and. Thoughtopian, yeah. Thoughtopian and Fringe Pop. And Fringe Pop, yep. Okay. And her name is Astrid. And thank you, Astrid. Thank you, Chris. I've really enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Astrid Daly. Interesting woman. Life's an adventure. And she's living it, that's for sure. Uh, I'd love to check in again with her in 15 years and see where things have gone. In any case, uh, don't forget to check out Sunbasket. You got that half-off deal running here for the next, uh, I don't know, couple of weeks or something. But uh, sunbasket.com slash TS for tangentially speaking, TS. And you get up to $60 off your first two orders. So check that out and let me know what you think. I, as I said, I had a basket sent to a friend and uh, they loved it. They found it to be generous and delicious and easy and very thoughtfully prepared. Like a whole cookbook came with it, really nicely put together. And I, I saw some of the stuff, some of the materials and the packaging and all that. It seems pretty, pretty sweet to me. And... Honestly, I'm not going to say what company it is, but I was going to do a sponsorship with another company and decided not to because I had this stuff sent out and it's kind of awkward, but I want to be honest with you. Had this stuff sent out and tried it and it just didn't, I just didn't like it. It just 
seem like okay it's a good good idea and good people working there i know some people work there which makes this doubly awkward but it just didn't taste good and you know i tried it twice and i just like can't recommend it to you so you can be sure that whatever comes through whatever i do mention on the podcast um is legit as far as i can tell and uh i hope you'll take that into consideration anyway sunbasket.com forward slash ts check out that discount and let me know how you like it thanks for listening and here's mom okay mom uh tell people what they can order from the garage okay in our cottage garage we have lots and lots of t-shirts Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, Civilized to Death design. They're all Civilized That's right. to Death. We have stickers. And car decals, right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone, Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation say when everyone we've ever known is headed for a headstone i don't want to give the end away but we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day so baby what's a big deal if you want to be you want to feel spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms and if we must go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground